When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes, welcome in. We're here. It's episode 72 of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. Stephen Diener here back with you. On another UAP adventure right here. It's so happy to be back with you on a new episode of this original version of UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, for episode 72. And during this episode, we are going to be covering a couple of really fascinating stories with compelling witnesses, very compelling witnesses, actually, out of both Papua New Guinea and Puerto Rico. So kind of two opposite sides of the world there. And they're two stories that actually happened over 50 years apart as well. You know, I always find it interesting how we have similar stories or similar sightings, but decades apart. So, and the intriguing thing is, is that these stories still leave us asking questions to this day. Questions like, was it a heavenly vision that they saw? Or how did that UFO split into two? Well, we're going to explore all that. It's all going to make sense. Don't worry. And in just a minute. But first, you know what time it is. You know what we got to do first. Let's get that factoid going. Factoid. So obviously a lot has happened since uh, the previous episode of UAP back in episode 71 where we've had the congressional hearings. We had David Grush and Ryan Graves and David Fravor all come out in front of uh, Congress essentially and say under oath about what they knew and what they've been told. And one of the things that have happened since then as well, because it seems like, no pun intended, this stuff has been moving at light speed but one of the things that has happened has been this, this story about Chuck Schumer and his um, measure that he's trying to put through for basically this like disclosure act. And now there's been a development with this, which is what brings us to our factoid today. So this all goes back to Chuck Schumer putting through his uh, what they were calling. And by the way, Chuck Schumer, Democratic Senate Majority Leader, um, I should clarify in case you're not familiar but he put forward a uh, what they're calling a UAP Amendment Act, and it was part of the National Defense Authorization Act, or the NDAA, uh, for the fiscal year of 2024. So this was one of the things that they put in there, and the, the White House is backing it. And what it does, kind of just uh, to put it in layman's terms, it demands what the, what's the wording in here is presumptive immediate disclosure of UAP records. It also says that it wants to release credible evidence and testimony that indicates UAP records exist that have not been declassified in an overbroad use of Atomic Energy Act. So I'm not sure how that all goes together with the, with the Atomic Energy Act. 
Um, but that's pretty interesting that they kind of lumped it all together. But essentially what's happening here, and this is kind of what, not to get political by any means, please, goodness, no. But what happens is sometimes politicians, they put in these, you know, these, these different measures in these different uh, spending, you know, budget things that are going to get passed for the next year in order to get their, their kind of their pet projects passed through. It just so happens that UAP disclosure, this UAP amendment, is something that Senator Chuck Schumer has now decided to focus on. Which, again, is pretty astounding because that is a, a huge thing for a Senate Majority Leader to do. And the White House is backing it. And apparently it's going to be part of the 2024 National Defense Authorization Act for the fiscal year of, of 2024. So what are we going to find out? Are we going to find out before 2024? Are we going to find out you know, what it's, what's in these records? Presumptive immediate disclosure of UAP records, as it says in the amendment. You know, having uh, showing showing UAP records that have not been declassified to go ahead and declassify some of these things. It sounds like a game changer. You know, I hate to get too overboard or too excited about some of this stuff, but I haven't seen a a broad type of, you know, uh, stroke of a paintbrush, if you will, to use an analogy, in such a way from someone so high up like Chuck Schumer is as the Senate Majority Leader to just say, we're going to declassify all this stuff and we want to have disclosure, immediate disclosure on these issues. It's incredible. So again, the, the question becomes, what will be disclosed? What kind of information, right? Is it going to be about these uh, biologics that David Grush spoke about with uh with Congresswoman Nancy Mace during the hearing that made all the headlines. Is it going to be about craft? Is it going to be about reverse engineer technology? We don't know. But the fact is, apparently some of this stuff is going to come out either before the end of this year or maybe beginning of next year. It's very fascinating. So we'll keep up on this UAP amendment that is being passed passed through the uh, 2024 NDAA. We are living through uh, quite the time here when it comes to UAP disclosure. That is for sure. Unique times, I should say. But let's go ahead now and jump into our first story. And this takes us to Papua New Guinea back in 1959. And I call it Waving at Aliens. Because when an Australian priest named Father William Gill was on a mission to the small island nation of Papua New Guinea... For those not familiar with the geography, by the way, Papua New Guinea is located just to the north of Australia and then directly east of Indonesia. So that's kind of its place in the world if you're not familiar with it. Now, on the night of June 26, 1959, Father Gill was stargazing by the shore with others in his camp when he had an experience that he could not explain. And how, how much has that happened to so many of us, right? I mean, that... When I get messages from from you and, and different listeners, so many times I hear the same type of thing. It was an experience I couldn't explain. It stuck with me for years, and you're not alone in that. And Father Gill was someone who had this an experience, a truly incredible experience that has not been explained to this day, unless you want to believe some of the explanations they came up with from the investigators, but we'll get to that later. But here's a little bit of Father Gill from 1959 in his own words to start us off here talking about what he experienced on that night in 1959. Can you imagine what it's like to look up in the sky and see a totally foreign-looking object? They're uh, just hovering, uh, not very far high up, maybe two or three hundred feet uh, up in the air, and glowing, 
and two uh, bipods jutting out from behind it, from uh, underneath it, and sparkling all around, and some figures up there. This solid-looking object, and figures walking about on top, and not the slightest noise whatsoever. All right, so a couple things to touch on there. Obviously, pretty uh, incredible statements to start off. So he sees the objects in the sky, as he says. He sees figures walking about. So we're going to get to that a a little bit later, too. But then he also mentions, and this is a hallmark of a... You know, UFO, UAP sighting, no sound. You heard him say that there at the end of the clip. There was no sound to this. Now, to be exact, this event took place over two nights, actually. And on the first night, Father Gill and his missionaries saw that first sighting you heard about there and that he was just speaking about. A bright light, you know, the classic disc shape, no sound, uh, and apparent occupants dwelling within and walking about as well. Now, the craft took off after a few minutes into that first sighting that you heard Father Gill talking about. And he decided to lead everyone back to their huts and everything and to the camp so he could record what he and the others had just seen. Now, keep in mind, this is 1959. Okay, UFO Twitter doesn't exist. So it's not like he can just go out there and be like, look what, you know, tell everybody, look, you know, what I just saw. This was incredible. No, this is 1959. A lot of this stuff is still new. It's 12 years after Roswell. There's a lot going on during the Cold War. So a lot of this stuff is is, is still fairly unknown to, you know, a lot a lot of people. So then to his surprise, while he's back at his camp and recording some of this stuff down, you know, writing it, drawing pictures, things like that, to his surprise, a short time later, the UFO came back and this time it wasn't alone. He had someone come up to him and say, Father, we, we see these things again. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. So here's a little bit about sighting number two on that night with Father Gill and his missionaries. It was about 500 feet away. There was this one main object, but there was also smaller satellite objects seen in close proximity. So that's interesting when you think about it. So 500 feet away, you know, you heard Father Gill talking about three to 500 feet. So not very far. I mean, you're talking a football field, really, um, or American football, if you're listening, you know, uh, internationally, you're talking 100 yards-ish, you know, for 300 feet, that's 100 yards, maybe a little bit further, so a football field and a half. And you're talking about now these, what, what the man described there as satellite objects, so smaller type of orbs that were coming out from this main, you know, uh, saucer-shaped UFO that Father Gill was seeing. So let's go back here just a bit and look at some of the key details, okay? For one, Father Gill was actually a noted skeptic about all of this. As it was happening, he's talked about in interviews before that he didn't really know what to make of it. He didn't know a lot about the UFO subject, and he was... 
you know, t- kind of like a scientific mind. He tried to find answers to the questions, wasn't just going to all of a sudden start believing that aliens were real. So he was trying to find different answers. It's not like he went up there and said, look, see, I told you. No, he was trying to find out what could this be. And he couldn't reconcile what he was seeing in that moment. Now, at first, he tried to blame it on the light from Venus, but that couldn't be because the sighting was taking place in an entirely different part of the sky. Also, Venus doesn't dance around the sky with occupants inside of it, so there's also that to consider. Then he thought it could be a satellite. Now, that's not a bad thought because considering the time frame here, it would have been very plausible to, to think something like that. This, again, 1959, this was just two years after, to put that in, into perspective, two years after the Russians launched Sputnik. But then again, the human-like figures he saw didn't add up with any satellites that you know anybody was putting out in 1959. The last thought he had was that it could have possibly been some type of military experiment. Now, keep in mind, and this is why I love this story, because Father Gill, and I love him as a witness, because you're talking about a guy, everything I'm describing here, this isn't some investigator, this wasn't Project Blue Book coming to him and saying, well, it was this or that. These are things he's trying to say to explain away what he saw, which is why I love him as a witness, because he's not a guy that was coming out there to, to sensationalize this. So he's thinking about maybe some type of military experiment. Now, that can't be entirely ruled out, but it is hard to imagine any military having that sort of tech in 1959. Then again, who can really say for sure on that point, but it still seems kind of far-fetched that it was a military experiment. I don't know. All that said, though, Father Gill and the other witnesses, which numbered over 30 people, by the way, this was, this was a mass sighting. I think I should mention that, too. I don't want that fact to get lost here. This is a mass sighting event. Over 30 people, including Father Gill, saw this happen. They weren't quite done with all this, though, this strange sighting that was going on. In fact, the best was yet to come, so to speak, because on the next night of June 27th, so they've seen this thing a couple of times. They're still trying to figure it out. They're trying to make sense of it. Now it's the next night, and Father Gill and the others with him actually made intelligent contact, or so the story goes, and their third sighting with this flying saucer and its occupants. Here's what they did. Father Gill explains how they waved to the occupants, as we call them. And so we waved. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could get this object down onto the playing field? And as we waved, wondering whether we'd get some recognition and whether perhaps they would uh, understand what we wanted... They waved back. So I asked a boy to go quickly down, bring me a torch, bring me a pencil, bring me paper. And this he did very, very quickly. He brought it back and he brought the, to- the torch and put the torch on and shone it to the, the craft. And uh, as he did so, he waved the, or uh, moved the torch uh, this way. And we were dumbfounded when we looked at the craft and the craft was as though it was responding to the torch. Uh, it began to do this too, you know, like a, uh, a, a disc-shaped object just uh, moving the same way uh, responding to the, to, to the movement of the torch. Okay, so let's unpack all that real quick. They waved back, all right? So now you're talking about intelligent um, contact here with some type of occupants, <laughs> whoever was on this craft they're acknowledging father gill and people standing there on the beach 
and making contact, apparently friendly contact, in the way of waving back, in the way of responding to the light moving from what he said was the torch, waving it back and forth, left to right, and actual, you know, uh, this response from the occupants on the craft to move in the same direction in in a season, you know, not a left to right direction, I guess you could say, up and down, back and forth, to show that they were watching them, to show that they understood that they were trying to communicate. This was communication going on, according to Father Gill. So it begs the question, who was he communicating with? Was it time-traveling humans in some type of advanced craft? Was it interdimensional beings, you know, humans or otherwise? What was their purpose for being there and for making this, you know, essentially friendly contact with Father Gill and the people on the beach that night. There's a lot of questions here, like I said, and that's why this is such an incredible story. Did they actually make contact with otherworldly beings, or was this something else? We don't know. Whatever the answers may be here, it really is just an incredible story of intelligent contact with seemingly some type of higher intelligence, whether it be human or not. So what did happen here? How did this all end? Father Gill goes into a little bit more right now. And so for another hour or two, we watched. Then suddenly it did go. There was this amazingly incredible speed uh, that the whole craft disappeared uh, to nothing uh, across the bay uh, in a matter of a second or so. What are we to think of this kind of phenomenon? People claiming to see uh, things such as I did. The 38 of us, and we all believe that we saw it, but of course we don't expect other people to believe us if we if they don't want to. So you see that Father Gill comes off as a sensible man. He understands it sounds implausible, it sounds ridiculous, it sounds too fantastical to even consider something like this happening. But he says he saw it, along with 38 other people, as he put it there. And you caught that, right? Did you catch that when he said how it moved? That's instant, instantaneous acceleration. He said how it just disappeared in a second, gone. So you have these classic hallmarks, hallmarks of the saucer-shaped craft. No sound. Instantaneous acceleration. And then, of course, the most amazing part is making contact with the occupants, as they put it, on this craft. It's an incredible story, and it remains unsolved. Unless you want to believe this conclusion from the investigators who were assigned to the case because this was investigated. Listen to this real quick. Listen to uh, the conclusion that they came up with here as case closed. Nothing more to see here. Listen to this. Six months after the event, Air Force personnel interview Father Gill and attribute what he saw to a celestial phenomenon, the planet Venus. Noted UFO debunker Dr. Donald Menzel agrees adding that Father Gill is known to be nearsighted. But that argument doesn't explain the other 25 witnesses. It was Venus. He needed glasses. What he saw dancing around in the sky, waving to other beings on a craft. It was all Venus because, because he needs glasses. Oh, you can't make this stuff up. But this was, you know, late 50s, early 60s. They're doing this investigation, and this is the type of garbage that they put out there and that sometimes they still try to put out there. Can you imagine what an insult? What think of what think whatever you want of this case. I think we can all agree 
that it wasn't Venus that over 30 people, including Father Gill, saw. And I love the fact, too, that they just completely ignored everybody else. And they said, well, Father Gill needed glasses, so he didn't see what he thought he saw. Well, what about the other 30-something people? No, 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 no. Forget about them. Father Gill needs glasses. This is what they did and still sometimes do. So laughable, in my opinion, right there. But just just an incredible story. So glad I finally got to, to speak about that one uh, with you here on this episode. But now on to our next story here and our final story, actually. I call it Scene Double. This is a famous case out of Puerto Rico. If you haven't heard about it, even if you have, it's still a fun one to talk about and consider what the heck this could have been. This was a case that was actually top secret within the, the Department of Defense before it got leaked for everyone to see. A case that, again, I have dubbed personally seen double the Puerto Rico orbs. Here's how that starts. It's just after dark on August 25th, 2013 in Aguadilla, Puerto Rico. The crew of a United States Customs and Border Patrol plane is taking off for a routine mission when they notice a strange pinkish light approaching from the northwest. They turn on their thermal imaging camera to track the object. And this is what they see. Ooh, and the ominous music, too, to add it in there. Credit to uh, The Proof Is Out There, hosted by Tony Harris. That's uh, where that sound came from. So credit to them on on that. I love how they put that together. But um, what did they see, right? So here's what they saw. It was a metallic orb or a sphere, however you want to put it, flying below their point of view. So, yes, we have another orb on our hands. How many times do we hear about these orbs? And there are a few things, though, to get into the story that makes this what many consider to be one of the best true UFO videos ever captured. Honestly, and this is, again, back in 2013. First off, there is no disputing that this was filmed using a highly technical and very expensive, by the way, Department of Homeland Security camera that was placed on that customs plane. So this isn't one of those times where a skeptic can say that it was made with CGI or photoshopped. It just wasn't. Next, they were able to get the thermal readings on this thing, and it measured just over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, which is far too low for a jet engine, which is why I love this case, because you had a lot of different readings on this thing that ruled out different things like a jet engine, right? 100 degrees, not hot enough, which brings up another important point. There's no sign of any type of propulsion here. How many times have we heard that before? No propulsion, the orbs, you know, a la the Mosul orb or any other famous orb sighting as well. Investigators also ruled out the possibility of birds or balloons because the object's movement and heat signature does not match those at all. So I just want to get all that out there. Ruled out jets, birds, balloons, okay, and CGI because, again, this was filmed with a Department of Homeland Security camera. In fact, it was able to speed up this object to over 100 miles per hour going against the wind, all right? So with all that to consider, you could see how that alone, not to mention all the other facts I just put out there, would make even the most hardened skeptic at least pause for a second about all this. But you haven't even heard the best part yet. What if I told you that, that this thing actually split into two different UAPs or UFOs? Listen to this. The object seems to splash down in the water before re-emerging seconds later. Even more bizarre, the object then splits into two separate craft. After nearly four minutes, the object disappears from view. All right, so a couple of things here. Obviously, number one, the split. 
Never heard that before. Haven't heard about it since. Maybe you have. I haven't. And then you have the USO factor, unidentified submerged object. I know they've given it a different name since then, but I still like to use the old term of USO. So you have the splash, right? Now, just going back to the famous uh, Nimitz uh, Tic Tac from 2004. Remember that splash? That's a famous video, of course, that was taken. David Fravor talking about that just last week at the congressional hearing. Now you have this same type of thing. Instead of a Tic Tac, now you have an orb doing the splash, coming in and out of the water, and then as it emerges out of the water, splitting into another craft. What is that all about? Now, it's also worth mentioning a little historical perspective here as well. There have been many UFOs slash UAP sightings over Puerto Rico just in general in the past, specifically over by U.S. military installations like this case here of the double orb seen near the base in Aguadilla. There is a rich history of these reports from military personnel, even going back to the 60s in this area. We're actually in one instance, just as an example, in 1963, Crew members of the USS Wasp reported seeing an underwater craft during an anti-submarine exercise, which brings up another important point. These sightings are not only happening around bases, but also taking place near aircraft carriers and submarines in the water. This story and others like it in the area really have all the elements to match similar accounts when you think about it throughout the past decades, like I mentioned with the Tic Tac and the Nimitz and others. But this continues to make the question... Why do these things happen so often around our military bases or personnel or, or craft? What is the connection there? Is it intimidation? Is it monitoring? Is it curiosity? I don't know. And again, you go back to the double orb. How does this thing split? Or is it some type of optical illusion? Is it some type of interdimensional thing going on where it's, it was caught in between two dimensions I'm just throwing it out there. I'm sorry if I sound crazy to you right now, but I'm just trying to throw out possibilities of how something could physically split into two just because I've never heard of that before. By the way, it's also worth mentioning this orb, or I guess orbs in this case, did not make a splash when it dove down under the water, even though it hit going approximately 80 miles per hour, according to the readings from the camera on the customs airplane. Think about that for a second. Anything hitting the water, you throw, you're at the beach or you're at the lake, whatever. You take a pebble, you throw it into the water. It's going two miles per hour through the air. It's going to make a splash. How does something going 80 miles per hour hitting the water, and some type of aircraft in this case with these orbs, not make a splash? It just goes right through like a hot knife through butter. Now, I realize that one possibility that you may be considering which may, you know, may, may not have brought up yet, is that of a drone. Now, I haven't mentioned this until now, but I spoke directly to my military intelligence source about this. I did. We, we spoke about this before I finished uh, preparing this episode. I wanted to ask him specific questions about this case because he had a lot of knowledge about it, working how he does and where he does. And he's been shown this before. He's investigated it. Now, you know him as Anthony Williams, and we spoke at length about this one particular case. If you don't know who I'm talking about, it's I spoke to him on a previous episode a couple months ago entitled My Military Contact, I think is what I called it, um, and that was Anthony Williams. It's not his real name, but we use that on purpose for a reason. Can't give out his real name. 
And But we spoke at length about this in a private conversation. And he gave me a lot of the information that you've actually heard here today, passed a lot of this along. Now, I asked him that question, though, about the possibility of this being some type of advanced drone, you know, being used by one of our adversaries, China, Russia, North Korea, Iran. I don't know. But his answer was simple when I brought it up to him. He said back in 2013, when this sighting happened, there was no one on this earth that had this type of surveillance technology where something could split into two coming in and out of the water like that before disappearing completely, especially at that speed without making a splash. So I think that was a fair point that he made, which leaves us back to square one. What the heck was this and how is it there? So here's one final word on this case, though, from a man named Richard Hoffman. Richard Hoffman was the head of the Scientific Coalition for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. So I think he's a pretty good source to speak on this. Here's what he had to say. We took a look at thermal signatures of birds and various other objects, and it doesn't match anything like this. And there you go. It's, it's unidentified. It's not from any place here. Yeah, there you go. I mean, just to kind of corroborate and back up what we've been seeing here about this case, splitting UAP, this orb splitting into two, coming in and out of the water. It's just, and, and the fact that it was caught on a Department of Homeland Security camera is indisputable. So that's what makes this case one of the most fascinating for a lot of people to discover and investigate. And it's it's really, I guess you can, I can use the term one of the most damning cases when it comes to a skeptic, you know, saying, well, there's not there's nothing going on. Oh, yeah. Well, look at this. Something's going on. You decide what it is. Now, you can see why this was top secret also at one point and how it continues to be a case that just confounds anyone who comes across it. The question becomes, could we be looking at a true blue case of an alien controlled craft or could this be a case of our own secret technology that has been reverse engineered from a downed alien ship in the past? These are some of the questions that really continue to surround this case and one reason why it remains unsolved. Hence the name of the episode. That will do it for today, though, on this episode 72. Thank you so much, as always, for joining me and listening to these stories. And, of course, I'll keep you updated on all things UAP and future episodes. I have some plans for episode 73, so I'll let you know what is happening there as well as we get closer. Obviously, plans for UAP Weekly coming up as well. I'll uh, keep you updated on that uh, later in the week as we plan another episode of UAP Weekly as things just continue to develop and happen. And so... Try to stay up to date with it. Of course, don't forget to download and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. It is literally everywhere. So that's always cool. And, you know, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow the show on Twitter if you are not already at UA Podcast 850 um, on Twitter at UA Podcast 850 or X, I guess it's called now, but whatever. I'm still going to call it Twitter. That's that's what we know it as. Um, I do post updates on there on everything uh, you, you know, you can reach out to me directly as well with anything that's on your mind. I always take instant messages or direct messages there. Always try to respond to everybody. If you can't direct message, I know it's kind of weird like that. You could always just at me on Twitter and I'll try my best to respond as well. Also, for those who do not want to contact me on, on Twitter or don't use Twitter, you can email the show privately at the Gmail account set up for the show. It's uh, email it at sdiener, S-D-I-E-N-E-R, sdiener, U-A-P, at gmail.com if you'd like to send a personal message that way, if that's easier or preferable to you. On that note, thank you all again uh, for everything. I can't overstate how much 
Your support truly means to me, especially if you've been following things on social media lately, on the UAP Twitter. Things have gotten kind of crazy over the past week, so I can't even put into words, honestly. I'm not. I'm trying not to be dramatic or anything, but I really can't even put in, express how much your support means to me, especially in times where uh, some people aren't as supportive, so... Really, really appreciate that. So with all that said, until next time, be well, and I'll talk to you very soon. Right here, Stephen Diener on the Unidentified Alien Podcast, UAP. Thank you so much.